as a good leader, hopefully we have the not only the passion, but the confidence and the courage to look in the mirror and say, this is where I'm holding myself back. We all have the capacity to be a leader. You have to be run by ideas, not hierarchy. The best ideas have to win. That leadership is the art of getting people to want to do what must be done. This is the Cloud Leaders Podcast. On this show, I aim to talk to real people who lead real teams to accomplish real goals. No influencers speak, no fake inspirational speeches, just real, practical conversations around what it takes to be a successful leader in today's complex world of information technology management. Let's get after it. All right, this is... Another edition. Welcome uh, to the Cloud Leaders Podcast of the week. I'm actually glad that I'm finally able to get back into a rhythm of doing these again and trying to get get at least one out a week if I can. And uh, this is this is an interesting conversation that's coming up. This is what I was really hoping would start to be the outcome of me publishing these episodes and recording these conversations is meeting new people and meeting you know folks who have varied leadership backgrounds and folks that. Um, I don't necessarily have a direct relationship to, so uh, this is uh, this is going to be you know kind of new territory for for me and new territory for the show and talking to somebody that really I'm just getting to know live in front of everybody, and so with that, um, I want to welcome Sir uh, Sudhir Chadalavarda. Uh, welcome to the Cloud Leaders Podcast, Sudhir. Thank you, Britton. Delighted to be here. Thank you for the opportunity. So, Sudhir, uh, you and I you know, kind of have a mutual contact in a guy by the name of Kosh. And he, you know, I reached out to him. Uh, I worked with Kosh at a prior company when I was doing some consulting work. And I've, I've been begging him to come on the sh- this show. And, <laughs> and he keeps pushing me off. Um, but we'll, we'll, I'm going to have Kosh on. And I know I'm sure he's listening to this one. But, um, you know, Kosh is going to be on the show at some point. Um, right. I'm but, glad he connected us, though. Yes. To be here. Yes. And so he 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 said, you know, hey, this is somebody, you know, Sudhir is someone you should talk to, Britons. And so he he made the connection. And I'm grateful to Kosh for that. All that is said. So, like, uh, I, I really, you know, we talked briefly before this, but I want to get a little bit of you know, just some background information, who you are, kind of where where you're coming from in this this thing of leadership, what you're doing today in terms of you know your 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 leadership. Um, consulting and things that you're doing um, and just kind of right. give, give myself really and everybody else sort of a, a, a small primer on, you know, who you are. Sounds good, Britain. Happy to. My leadership journey started very early. I was probably 10 or 12 years old growing up in India. I have no idea where the questions came from, but I was fundamentally driven by two, I would say, existential questions. Number one, what's the key to a fulfilled, fulfilling life? And two, what's the key to an inspiring and effective leadership? So as I said, it just came from within me. And my quest the last 40 years or so has been, A, to find answers to those questions, and B, once I got the answers, to serve the world and and really to serve the leaders and leadership teams and business organizations in that journey. 
And that's that's been the story of my life the last forty plus years. I mean, that's that's extremely succinct. So thank you for that. But <laughs> I mean, all, all along the way there, like, have you had you know, uh, like, have you been leading teams through different various organizations? Like, where does uh, you know, kind of what's a little bit of the the practical side of that? Yeah, uh, leadership started uh, very early for me in my DNA, even in, in schools, you know, representing, being the class representative, very much into extracurricular activities. So whenever we take a sport, I automatically become the team captain because I, I took joy in leading. I took joy in getting the best out of people. You know, I think that's within me. So when I first started working for Intel, and I was around 24 or so, Within the first year itself, right after the first year, I started teaching new college grads, orientation at Intel, immediately became a manager. So it came naturally, and more than anything else, I really enjoyed it. I think leadership is about serving and helping others be the best they can be. All right. So this is probably really, you know, uh, aligning well with the clips that I picked for this episode, because I have sort of a... A, a loose connection passed to Pat Gelsinger when, when he was with VMware. Right. Um, I had the great opportunity before I even was working for VMware to sit down for 15 minutes and interview Pat um, and talk about technical things. If I, if I could do it again with him, I would sit down and just, you know, pitch him leadership questions all day. Um, right. And so were you, you know, I'm, I'm assuming you and Pat were both at Intel at the same time since he was there for so long. Yes, yeah, we were contemporaries, but I heard about him a lot, a brilliant guy and rising up the ranks very quickly. Mm-hmm. Whereas I was just new to Intel, new to this country, and I was just adjusting and still seeking answers to those fundamental questions. Yeah. He, so as I was kind of going through some prep for this episode, and I always try to p- pull a couple of clips together. Um, you know, Pat just had this really good uh, you know, interview with uh, the Global Leadership Group. Uh, the Global Leadership Summit Group, and uh, he talks in that interview kind of about you know a few a few different things. And let me play you one clip here about you know kind of some leadership quality stuff. And I just want to get your take on it. Well, a great technologist doesn't make a great leader, and a great leader doesn't make a great technologist. And sometimes you can do both, yeah. right? And you know, I do believe that any any anyone can improve their leadership skills because even the most you know introverted, nerdy, right? Uh, you know, don't let them actually talk to a human being kind of person. They're still a leader. They're influencing uh, others. They're setting directions. They're having impact on others. So I truly believe that everybody should learn leadership skills, but not everybody belongs in leadership roles. So that that kind of comment that he made there really resonated with me as the nerdy, geeky guy that I am. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, where do you kind of see this? Who fits into the, the role of a leader and who doesn't? He put it beautifully. I have to fully agree with him. Yes, everybody has the capacity to be a great leader, to be an exceptional leader. It doesn't mean everybody can and everybody must aspire to. Right? We all have our own individual strengths and gifts and skills. And leadership really is about serving and giving and developing other leaders. So it's not about intellect or job knowledge or skill. It's it's a completely different different track. It's taking pride in developing others, right? It, they, which it, it requires us to grow and mature as human beings, right? You heard about emotional intelligence, and I talk about spiritual intelligence too. 
that one has to evolve in those directions to be an effective leader. You know, unfortunately, what happens, Britain, in many of the technology companies or any company for that matter, even in sports, they they pick the best sportsman or best, best athlete as the captain. Or if you're an, if you're a brilliant engineer, it's like, okay, Britain, you're the manager now. No, I don't I don't think that's the right way to do it. In fact, the best leaders are the ones who happen to be fairly average in their area of expertise, but to have figured out a way to push themselves, right? to constantly evolve and grow, be vulnerable, be very open, be very transparent, be very authentic. It's almost like a parallel track to being a subject matter expert in a field. So Does that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, and and I think I think you're right on to something there. And but but I'm curious as you've gone through this process of you know developing your leadership style and developing these kind of qualities and awareness of them, you know how 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 like because some some people when they go down this track of leadership, like it, it, yes, it's either foisted upon them because they're such so great at their job, and then some, so then somebody in their leadership identifies them as well. You're good at your job. You must be amazing. Here's your, here's a promotion. You can teach everybody how to do stuff like you do. And that rarely works out, but then, but it it also seems like you as a, as as somebody who may be wanting to become a leader, you have to figure out a way to self-identify the things to work on and the things that, that don't necessarily need work on. Right. And, And so how, how would you coach somebody to be more self-aware about what what needs work in their skill set and what doesn't need work. Great question. It's it's that's that's the fundamental drivers. Every journey starts basically with a disappointment or a complex question. So my journey at Intel, interestingly, was about that. I was surrounded by people who are brilliant, passionate, had a tremendous work ethic, but I quickly figured out that that's not what makes a great leader. It's the ability to connect with people and getting the best out of them. So in my quest for that great leadership, Britain, I quickly discovered what was not happening and what needs to happen. So that disappointment, and to to answer the question that you just asked, what does it take to be that leader is what drove me to go inwards. So there are several events that took place around that time as I was searching deeply in, in, in quest of becoming a great leader. So one of the seminal events in my life was Good to Great by Jim Collins. So everybody appreciates the, the book he's written. Mm-hmm. For me, the conclusion was a given, that, you know, that great leaders generate exceptional profits was a given. What I was more interested in is how does one take the journey from good to great? And, and Jim was honest. He didn't have an answer to that. Most people don't. And I was seeking those answers, and the only way to get those answers are people who have gone within themselves, have understood human nature, human psychology, human barriers, human motivations. That's what drove me inwards and got me face-to-face with some enlightened beings who have figured out the technology of consciousness and going within. That's where the answers came from. Okay. And th- and that's and that's part of like like why I wanted to figure out and, and start start having these conversations with folks in leadership areas and just to, to try to find some of those intangibles, right? And right. try to figure out like, like, yeah, because there are so many out there, you know, leadership experts and leadership 
you know, materials and conferences and, you know, all of this stuff that you can go to. And there's just an endless sea of, um, you know, it's, it's, it's the leadership education has really become in a way its own industry. And, you know, I mean, this is why folks like Collins and, and, you know, Simon Sinek and all the, all of the, all the big names in leadership, you know, my John Maxwell and all those folks, you know, they all, they all make a living producing content around producing good leaders. And I feel like as good as some of that stuff is like, there's, there's, there's stuff in there that does work, but at the same time, I feel like it really is just kind of up to the individual and how they execute on some of this stuff. And, and how they deal with one-to-one individual personal communication stuff. And it's that kind of stuff that isn't necessarily teachable in some respects. Sometimes it is, but in some, but for some people, like, you know, some people just have that kind of bull in a China shop, you know, personality where they're just going to take over if things get too difficult. And so I think, you know, from my perspective, part of the beginning process of becoming a good leader is identifying that, you know, takeover mentality in you and being able to shut it down and let your people just do and learn and let them come up to the edge of failure without actually going over the edge so that they can experience things and learn kind of those, a little bit of that like inner journey, like you're referring to it. Right. Yeah. That's the fundamental question, Britton. And I want to say a couple of things about that is uh, leadership, the good to great leadership, for example, there's nothing new about it. This is a fundamental existential question for thousands of years. And, and, and And the fundamental principles and guidelines are universal and timeless. Right? That's the one I dis- that's what I discovered. Mm-hmm. Now everybody's on their own journey. Right? You mentioned a few names, John Maxwell, Simon Sinek. So they're all we are all in our own journey of understanding what those steps are, and we share in our own words what that means. Right? How much is teachable? The other other fundamental question you asked is how much of leadership is teachable and how much is self effort, and is it a combination of both? So these are the fundamental things. Number one, universal and timeless. If so, what are those principles? And two. How does one help as a coach, as a teacher, as a mentor uh, to, to help a, first, a leader, a good leader take the journey to greatness? So this is what I would say to that, Britain. Firstly, now, here as we sit in 2023, there's enough data. I think there's one study by McKinsey and HBR which says 90% of business leaders today believe that there has to be a higher purpose to running a business grounded in humanity. So it's no longer a debate. The real issue though is, another fascinating research by Ernst & Young and HBR also says, while 90% believe in that, a very small percentage, maybe 30% by some estimates, are actually able to exhibit that in their daily leadership behavior. So there is a gap in the intention and the operational depth and skill in being that leader, right? Being that inspiring leader, being that effective leader, and building a cohesive, collaborative, aligned leadership team. So my role now, or my my purpose in life is, how do you help bridge that gap? So I broke it down into three areas. So a good leader, as I said earlier, has professional mastery, intellect, skill, that's a given. 
So what else do you need to be a great leader? Number one is what I call personal mastery, knowing yourself. What are, not just what your strengths or gifts are, what are your blocks, right? The journey from good to great is about overcoming the blocks. The journey from average to good is about focusing on strengths. So as a good leader, hopefully we have the, not only the passion, but the confidence and the courage to look in the mirror and say, this is where I'm holding myself back in unleashing my best. So how do you do that? Right? So that's where a good teacher, a good mentor who has taken the journey can help in that process because it could be very daunting. Mm -hmm. right? When you come face to face with your own weaknesses, can you handle it? Right? <laughs> yeah. So, so sometimes looking in the mirror is not the easiest thing in the world, right? Not at all. That's probably the hardest thing to do. Yeah. So you and said if you don't do that, right, a good leader, if you don't do that, if you don't take that journey, you end up being the common terms which you use. Okay. A micromanager, an egomania, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. All right. I want I want to drill I want to drill deeper into this with you. So you said there's three things. So you said thing one is personal mastery. What's thing two? Right. So once you figured yourself out, number two, which is very important as a leader, is organizational mastery. Right? Knowing yourself being resilient, being accountable, not playing victim is a good start. But that's not enough to inspire your team to be the best they can be. Now, you've got the fundamental tools now. Now, you've got to communicate, articulate, and uh, be able to answer the question, what's in it for them? So when, when you're in that journey, every business has to do the same fundamental things. Communicate, strategize, develop the vision, execute, decide decide, evaluate performance. How you do it dramatically shifts when you're a good leader versus a great leader. So that's organizational mastery. Getting into the details of how you communicate, how you decide, how you get buy-in, and how that helps in executing on the strategy. And I feel like that one, like the only way you get really, you know, you really achieve that is just time. Like, Time in a role, time with a company, time with an organization, and time, you know, figuring out their processes, understanding, you know, how the sausage is made to, to some degree. Um, do, you, do, you, do you think that, that kind of aligns with that? Like, there's, there's really no other way to achieve that other than just time in the seat? Time, but even more important is priority and the commitment to getting it done. So everybody has an intention to perform what we call organizational mastery. But what many have not figured out, or even if they have, have not taken the time, is to go with them. Right? Most leaders I work with, successful leaders, are used to work going outside, right? saying what to do, giving directions on what to do. But unless you have become vulnerable and worked, out, worked on yourself, you have not figured out the way to ask the right questions. Instead of giving the right answers, you're supposed to ask the right questions. So... It's not just the time, but understanding what it takes and prioritizing that and making that commitment, which folks like Pat Gelsinger have done. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where spirituality helps in looking at something larger than yourself. Right. Um, I, I, I wanna, I'm, I'm going to come back to point three, so be ready for that. Yeah. Sure. Um, let me just take a quick aside here. I want to play Pat talking about his... Uh, uh, beginnings of his mentorship with Andy Grove and what and kind of what that was start started oh, yeah. like. 
probably most importantly was Andy Grove, right? And I like to tell the story of when he he chose me to be one of his mentees, right? And I gave this big presentation and, uh, you know, sort of chewed out the executive staff. I'm very young in my career, in my early 20s. And uh, he calls me up and he says, you know, uh, and I didn't want to get interrupted. Who is it? You know, Andy. Andy who? <laughs> Andy Grove. And I was like, oh my gosh, right? Right? You know, he starts shelling me with questions. What do you read? What are you studying? What are your career objectives? And I gave lousy answers because I was so befuddled, right, with the call. And he said, be in my office in a week with better ones. I love, and I love that line of like, you'll be in my office next week with better, better answers, you know, right, like, right, like right. how often does it, does a great leader come to you and, and afford you that opportunity yeah, you know, exactly. to screw, to screw up number one, and then number two, to come back and fix it. Right. You know, the key there, Britain is great leaders are looking for great people to develop and mentor. That's how we are as human beings. As we develop, we have this thing, biological shift within us, not just a psychological shift, to give and to develop. So they're dying as much to give as much as the mentee is wanting to be taught. All right. So and I, and I feel like that, that that little snippet is is also aligned to the organizational mastery because yeah, Pat's you know hard charging guy in his twenties. He's he's he's, hit, he's hitting it out of the park. He's getting promoted. He's doing all the things, right. and you know, come to realize, well, oh yeah, he's probably not actually doing things as good as he probably really should be. And, yeah. and I think a lot of that is aligned to your, your point of organizational mastery. Okay. Let's hit point three. Point three is about the execution roadmap. So you know, here I talk about Theo Epstein. If you know who he is, the general manager for Oakland days, won the world series there. And then he goes to Chicago Cubs, gets, gets the world series there and then to Boston Red Sox. So the fundamental principle there is vision is great, but you need to have an execution roadmap connecting the day-to-day activities to the vision. So it starts with the leader defining the vision clearly, but also answering the question, what's in it for them, not for me? So once you answer that question and get the buy-in from the people, starting with the leadership team, now you have a job to develop the roadmap to getting there. Because the vision could be five, six, seven years down the road. That's what Theo did in his case. You know, he, he wouldn't promise World Series in year one or year two. It could be year three, year five. So now the leadership team gets together and develops the roadmap to get there in excruciating detail. You know what we call the playbook. Mm-hmm. What kind of players, team player? You know what kind of folks do you want on your team? What's the skill level? What's the attitude level? What are the core principles you want to live by? So you want to hire and retain folks like that. Then how do you develop? How do you strategize? So there's a whole playbook which the leadership team can develop. So leader's job is to empower them and guide them to get it done. So they can hold themselves accountable as opposed to leader driving them and feeling responsible to hold somebody else accountable. I think that's a very important step. The, this thing of execution, though, I feel like this has got to be the, the hardest part, right? Because, I mean, you, it's one of those things that, like, if you don't get it right, everybody knows. <laughs> right. And, you know, that's that's when, you know, yeah, pe- people get get real honest in some, in some cases. And it's all of a sudden it's like, oh, like, yeah, we, we you know, maybe it was intentional, or maybe it was unintentional. But, you know, sometimes, yeah, it just you, you miss the mark. And, and it's one of those things of, like, I heard... Uh, somebody kind of give this analogy to of like how in certain relationships 
you know, you could be like the guy, the, the original team piloting the, the uh, one of the Apollo missions to, to, to the moon, you know, they had to, to target this dot out in space. And if they were off just a centimeter on the measurement, they would have ended up a thousand miles off course. Right. And I feel like that analogy of ex- is, is kind of analogous to, a, you know, what it takes to have really good execution. Because if you, you know, if you, if you're looking off a little bit too far and you're off center just a little bit, yeah, your, your, your execution is probably not going to be as on point as you maybe want it to be. Right. Do you feel like it's, it's, it's kind of a pass fail in execution or are there grades where that, where, where an organization can land, um, especially from a leadership perspective on, on their execution capabilities? Great question. I think the difference between good leaders and great leaders in execution is good leaders rush into execution too fast, too soon, give orders too soon. There are some steps before you do that. Step number one is, is the vision clearly articulated? Number two, most important thing, is there a buy-in? So don't use your hierarchical authority. See, if you're using your hierarchical authority, you're almost, you've lost the game. Can you use your moral authority, which comes only with personal mastery and working on yourself, to get buy-in from the team, make sure they're bought into it, right? Don't assume that. A lot of good leaders assume that and charge ahead. Mm-hmm. Take the time to make sure that they buy in. Now, once they buy in, you're off to the races. You don't need to really push. Now your job is to empower them and guide them. And the third important step before you charge off into execution is planning. I love what Tony Robbins once said. You know, he said he's known for massive execution, but he goes, I spend three times more time spending planning than executing. So you got to plan your execution, work together as a team, have milestones, have accountabilities. And then to your point earlier, there's a lot of course correction also in execution. And that's what disappoints a lot of people. You know, you need to change anyway. So why bother planning? No, that's not what it is. You plan precisely and be open to course correction all the time. That's what the NASA scientists do. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, and, and part of this is like, you know, the, the, that's what sort of grates against the engineer in me because like, I'm, I'm like a gearhead engineer. I'm not, I'm not like the type of an engineer who like, reads through the entire manual and then begins the process. Like I was the, I was the guy who, you know, when I get the, 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 the nude thing to build, I just start, you know, from my base knowledge set of what I have and a, a general idea of how this thing's going to go. And I just start. Right. And right. like, I'm not one of those, those people who reads the manual first, you know, I, I typically <laughs> just like, I need, I need, I need some of those, those first initial failures so like, okay, like this is, I clearly got something wrong here, but like, you know, I could, I could make it up easier on myself and go back and read the manual. But for whatever mm-hmm. reason, when I'm starting a new thing, like in my head, the way I, I go through this stuff is just, I have to fail a couple of times first, go back, read the manual and then see where I missed it because then All I right. can connect the dots faster. All but, right. but, but at the same time, you know, people will tell me like, oh, well, you know, you should just read the manual first, idiot. Um, and, and it's like, it's just like, yeah, I mean, so, and, and I realized in, in a leadership context, you really may not even have that luxury of being able to just, you know, wing it and try things. So like, is it, do you see that as being sort of an area where somebody who's coming from an engineering first perspective and trying to pivot into leadership, if they're, if they're I, not, I if they're not, you know, considering the whole thing before executing that they could be running into a massive failure? 
I love that point. I'm I'm like you in that. You know, I learn more on the job, not by reading, but getting stuff done and course correcting and managing it. So one of the most important jobs of a leader is to create that psychologically safe environment. Right? Everybody talks about, you know, we we learn. I think Satya Nadella at Microsoft popularized that, saying that we are not a know-it-all company, but we are we are a learn-it-all company. Said so having the humility to learn, and it's easy to say that, Britain, mm-hmm. but very difficult to implement. I think that's what the leadership job is to create that environment where it's okay to express a contrarian opinion, okay to try and fail. Even if you fail, it's a, you know, even if you lose, let's say, in a, in a big corporation, a million dollars in the process, it's a million dollar investment in great leadership and great execution to develop exceptional services and products. So I think it's fundamental to to grow together, learn together, course correct, and make some mistakes which are not catastrophic. So that brings up another you know thing. Like I years ago, I read uh, the book. I think it's called Creativity Inc. by Ed Catmull from Pixar. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how familiar you are with anything in Pixar, but I know about Pixar and the Great Journey. Steve yeah. Jobs took. Yeah. yeah, they. Um, like in the book, Ed describes sort of the the early days. I don't know if they still do this or not, but basically every time that Pixar was planning a new project, you know, be it uh, just an, anim- an animated short or a new feature film or whatever it was they're developing, they would all, at, at, as part of the creative process of building this thing, everybody would get in the big conference room and they would basically have sort of an open feedback session where really nobody's allowed to share anything positive and it's Mm -hmm. really all about just critical like hardcore feedback of why something is wrong with what they're trying to do right and it's it it, it's it is one of these things where like yeah people they they kind of go into the room knowing that people's feelings are going to get hurt and that things are going to go like it's going to get emotional it's going to get difficult but they realized that after the going through this process once or twice accidentally that this is what was helping them create blockbuster after blockbuster after blockbuster of great stories. Right. And, and ultimately realizing like it takes um, the conflict of dealing with all of these things to kind of root out the problems and get them out of the way so that they can move forward with what they're trying to produce. Exactly. See, every, every almost every company has their core value as humility as an example. But humility really is about not wanting to be right, but finding the right solution. So if your feelings are getting hurt, then it means that you're not developed as as developed your humility yet. And that's what is required, Britain. It, it's it's awkward, it may be difficult till we mature and develop ourselves, but it's a mandatory step to to talk about what's wrong, what's what's not going well. Because everybody knows what's going well. That's that's not the point. But in order to come up with the best solution, those exercises are critical. And I think Steve Jobs really figured it out towards the end of his life about how he evolved as a leader. He said, my job is just get great people together and have conversations and help make decisions. And part of those conversations is exactly what you talked about. Yeah, there's a... What's wrong? And there's a there's a marketing guy I followed. His name is Donald Miller. He wrote a book a few years back. back, And he he gave us a talk once 
And can you describe Steve Jobs going through that transition of first getting kicked out of Apple? And like when he was at Apple, they released this computer called the Lisa. It was widely regarded as a massive failure because, you know, it was super expensive at the time. Nobody really could afford it and nobody really knew what it did. And his, his, uh, his advertising campaign for the Lisa computer consisted of a full page ad in the New York times. And like it, and right. this detailed full page ad just went ridiculous in describing everything that this thing does. He gets kicked out of Apple, goes through all of the, the learnings of things of and humility of all of that, goes to do some do you know work with Pixar and buys part of Pixar, sits in the room with all of these guys and creative storytellers, and he learns basically how to tell a story from the folks at Pixar, comes right. back to Apple and relaunches it instead of a full page full page ad of text. He relaunches Apple with two words, thing different. <laughs> exactly. And exactly. Like, and basically the guy's like, this is, this is like the communication, you know, not, lesson that everybody needs to learn. Like you have to be extremely clear about what it is you're trying to accomplish. And if you're over communicating too many details to people, people just turn their brains off and check out. And, right. and, I, and I think there's, you know, things that leaders can learn in that lesson as well, where it's like, if you're being super hard on people and constantly telling them too much to do, you know, you might be kind of cutting yourself off a little early in the process of helping develop people. That's exactly what happened to Steve Jobs. It's a great case study of the good to great journey. So nobody can dispute, you know, his personal his 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 uh, professional skill and mastery at that and his commitment i think what he developed through that journey is knowing himself learning being humble growing and then when he came back that's when the organizational mastery really kicked in like he was a very difficult guy to work with before but he took that journey and uh, it's too bad we lost him too soon but he was on that fascinating journey towards the end of life mm-hmm. And it's it's that personal shift that happened in him, which made him an exceptional leader. And I always talk about that as a case, great case study. All right, Sudhir, I want to I want to start wrapping this up. Um, in terms of steps and things that folks can do to, you know, continue sharpening the sword and becoming a better leader and becoming a better executor of things, um, what are some areas that you know people maybe don't work on as much as they should? And maybe do you have any recommended, you know, books or content or people that, that people should follow up with? Yeah, you know, people talk about leaders are readers. You know, I have a slightly different take on that because once you cut to the chase, the fundamental principles are universal and timeless, as I said. It really comes down to execution. And the most important step a leader has to take is get into the habit of reflection introspection, self-inquiry in every interaction. Who am I? and What am I really good at and where? I think it's as simple as it sounds. It's not easy and it's against the grain for a lot of folks. I work with leaders in their 50s and 60s and some even in their 70s who have not taken the time to figure that out. I would say that is the most fundamental step, knowing yourselves. The second thing, once you do that, is surrounding yourself not only in life, but even in business, because when you're spending more than half your waking time at business, your business better be a meaningful business too. You can't have a meaningful life without meaningful work. 
So surrounding yourself with people who are on that same journey of good to great, of introspection. And the third is developing benchmarks in business organizations which actually promote that, which reward you for good behavior, for good values. So there is a way, way to measure that and make it, make it tangible. I think those are very important because now we're at a very important stage in human history that stakeholder-centric capitalism, inclusive capitalism, or conscious capitalism is accepted as the way to go, not only to build great businesses, but to solve socioeconomic challenges. But in order to do that, the first step is go within. Second step is surround yourself with the right leadership team who are on that same journey. And third, develop the benchmarks which promote that behavior. Unlike in the past, well, so there, I'll give you a pass, you know, if you screwed up here a little bit in terms of not not practice or va- practicing our values because you got us a $10 million profit or you developed this great product. It's how can we do both? And I mm-hmm. think having the courage and the confidence that we can do it, and this is the time in human history to accomplish that, is what it's for, it's what it's all about. Cool. If I if I if I missed it, I'm pretty sure that you do some sort of either one to one or group coaching. Is this correct? Yes. Yes. Absolutely. If 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 anybody wants to reach out to you and engage your your services for this, how does somebody get a hold of you? So I'm getting a little bit more active on LinkedIn. So I post every week on LinkedIn. So I'm there. I have my own website, sudhirchavalavada.com, CEO Mastery Journey, dot com, which is the name of my book. Also, okay, which is available. Perfect, Sudhir. I appreciate you uh, affording me the time to kind of go through this stuff. I think this is, I, I, I always learn more when I go back and edit the episode and publish it than I do live in the conversation. <laughs> but this is, I can already tell that there's, there's a lot of note taking that's going to be happening from this episode. So thank you very much for this. Um, I think this is invaluable knowledge that, that leaders need to know. Um, and I'm, and I'm, you know, I, I think I'm, I'm already grateful for it and, and better for it. So thank you for the time. My pleasure, Britton. Thank you for asking the great questions to bring out the answers. As I said, it's it's a joy to share. Thank you. That's what I'm here for, to, to share and help and, and serve. Awesome. All right. And I'm sure I'll be reaching back out to you at some point in the future. You got it. Thank All you. Right. Look yeah. forward to it. Yep. Thank you. Take care.